And so, Lord, what are you doing? What is he doing? He's, he's doing some great things here. All right, if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand if you have one. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you have a hard time finding where the book of Hebrews is, just ask the person next to you um, or go to the table of contents, all right, if they don't know what they're doing. Um, Hebrews, chapter 10. I want to remind parents, last week we had... Uh, uh, teaching Rosie and I about really connecting kids in small group communities. And if you haven't uh, connected your kid in a small group community, by the end of the service or at the end of the service, there's a form to fill out. And so if you could do that, that would be fantastic to just get make sure that they are connected in there. Uh, last week, we talked about a community for uh, children. Today, we're going to talk about community for us in this room for adults. And we've been on a vision series. And the reason we put our chairs in this way is because we're talking about community today. And typically when we worship, uh, when we come to church, especially in worship, we don't really see each other. We see the back of our heads, we see the screen, uh, but we really don't get to see each other. And it's just wonderful to see all your beautiful faces here and have each other see each other's beautiful faces of the church that, we, that God has gathered today uh, at New Life Fellowship Church. And so uh, today we're continuing our vision series that we are the new family of Jesus. And isn't that wonderful? Tala uh, is, is part of the new family of Jesus. Uh, when you're, my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me in. That's what uh, Psalm 27, 14 says. And so um, today, this is why I wanted to situate us in this kind of space to let us know what we're called to be. A couple of weeks ago, I said that the church is not to be three things. The church is not to be a stadium, that we are not a crowd of spectators. The church is not to be a mall, which is to be a crowd of consumers. And the church is not to be a subway car, that is, a crowd of, of anonymous people in close proximity to each other. We are to be the family of Jesus, gathered from all walks of life, all generations, all colors, all socioeconomic class, and Jesus brings us together to be one family. And so today we're going to talk about community, and specifically we're going to look at emotionally healthy community. I'm going to nuance some things here and offer, I think, a fresh perspective on what, uh, what that means. And so Hebrews chapter 10, I want to um, read this passage before we pray here. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to verse 25, hear the word of the Lord. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you are creating and deepening us here as the family of Jesus in this local church. And so Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear you, we have eyes to see you, we would have a heart to receive everything you want to give us today. Lord, may your kingdom come in this place, may your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said... Amen. 
Uh, last week, I uh, introduced my talk by giving uh, an African proverb. And the African proverb, if you recall, was that it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, this week, I want to return to the wells of African wisdom to offer another kind of proverb that I think speaks powerfully and it's powerfully appropriate for our time today. And the proverb simply says these words, if you want to go fast, walk alone. But if you want to go far, walk together. And this proverb speaks to the reality of life, particularly the spiritual life. That to go far in the Christian life means that we must journey with others, means we must walk with others. And I know of no other recipe for disaster than for people to think that they can follow Jesus in isolation, that we can follow Jesus all by ourselves, that we can follow Jesus based on our own resources, on our own uh, wisdom, on our own ability. And it is an illusion to think that we can follow Jesus in that way. We were meant to be together, to walk together. This is at the beginning of the book of Genesis in chapter three, after God creates Adam, he looks at Adam and he says, it is not good that you are alone. You need someone else. And what he needed was more than just a wife. He needed a community. He needed to belong to someone else. He needed to journey and walk with someone else. And yet time after time, even though we recognize this, that we were created for community, time after time, we choose the way of isolation. Time after time, we choose the way of distancing ourselves from others, or we desperately want to connect, but we have a hard time doing so. In our text this morning, there is a similar problem. Evidently, there were some people in the church that had refused to gather together. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to address something specific about their community life, and he wants to address specifically those people that are creating distance from other people. The book of Hebrews is, I think, one of the most beautiful books in the New Testament. And the book of Hebrews is to the New Testament what the book of Leviticus is to the Old Testament. The book of Leviticus focuses on ritual, focuses on liturgy, focuses on worship. It focuses on the priesthood. It focuses on the temple. It focuses on sacrifices. And all of these things are critically important to define what the people of God were to look like. And so when the writer of Hebrews writes this letter, he has Leviticus in the back of his mind, but he's adding a different detail to it. He wants to let them know that although those things were important, although the priesthood was important, although the sacrifices are important, although the temple was important, he wants to let them know although those things were good, Jesus is better. And that's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Early in the, and he writes that Moses was good, but Jesus is better. The prophets are good, but Jesus is better. Angels are good, but Jesus is better. The temple is good, but Jesus, the true temple, is better. The sacrifices were good, but Jesus, the true sacrifice, is better. The priesthood is good, but Jesus, the great high priest, is better. Do you notice the theme? Jesus is better. Better than what? Better than anything. I know your iPhone 6 came out this week, but Jesus is better. I know you like your car, but Jesus is better. I know success is good, but Jesus is better. What was happening, though, was, was mind-boggling to the writer of Hebrews because although Jesus was better than all the things that were just mentioned, the Christians kept going back to an old way of thinking. To an old order of things. And although Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, they kept going back to older, other kinds of sacrifices. 
Although Jesus was the true temple, they kept going back to the temple. And so the writer of Hebrews is essentially asking, why are you going backwards? Why do you want a new, older version when the new version is available? Why are you still going back to dial up and we have Wi-Fi? Why do you still have a black and white TV when there's HD TV available to you? There's something better. And with that line of thinking, he makes that appropriation of there's something better to their community life. And in verse 24, this is what he says. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews is basically saying that it is better for you to join your life to a community than it is to walk alone. But some people in the church had the habit of not meeting together. For whatever reason, people in the church didn't see the need to be connected in community. They liked Jesus. They just didn't like the family of Jesus. They liked God. They just didn't want to deal with community. There's a, an author. His name is Dan Kimball. He wrote a book, and the book was entitled, They Like Jesus But Not the Church. And the book is about gathering insights from emerging generations. And so he started interviewing folks in their teens and uh, to their early 30s from different backgrounds and educations and church experiences. And all the people that he interviewed were open to Jesus, but they did not want to attend any church. And so he starts quoting them extensively through the book. And, and there's, there's six chapters that talk about some of their, their feelings and thoughts towards the church. Some of them are accurate. Some of them are misconceptions. And he writes that these people wanted Jesus but not the church because they said the church is an organized religion with a political agenda. They said the church is judgmental and negative. They say the church is dominated by males and oppresses females. They say the church is homophobic. They say the church arrogantly claims all other religions are wrong. And they say the church is full of fundamentalists who take the whole Bible literally. And as a result, they wanted Jesus, but they just didn't want Christian community. Now, this problem is, in our text is, is something that many of us are familiar with, many of us in this city is familiar with. Social isolation and loneliness and distancing ourselves from other people, it plagues the city. It's prevalent in our churches. In my time at New Life, I've been shocked to hear how many times I've said to people that have been coming here for a short time and for a long time, who are you connected with? And they say, no one. I'm not connected to anyone really. And there's a, a whole gamut of reasons of why they're not connected. But I've been shocked to hear, who are you connected with? And they say, no one. The writer of Hebrews just doesn't want people to be connected. He wants people to be connected with people that are deepening your life in God. Because that's the kind of community that all of us need in this room. Do you have people in your life that when you meet with them, you're just deepened in God? You're deep in, you want to pray. You want to get to God more. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We all desperately need and long for that kind of community. And yet, time and time again, we reject community. Time and time again, we isolate ourselves from community. Time and time again, we distance ourselves from community. For some of us, we wonder, why should I be in community? It feels, is it even worth it? For others of us, we wonder, I have a lot on my plate. There's no time for other community. Many of us don't see the intrinsic value of community. Or maybe you feel, I don't belong. No one understands me. Or maybe you're skeptical in this room because maybe you've joined yourself to a community at one point and you were hurt. And you say, that's never going to happen to me again. And you distance yourself. 
Perhaps you're an immigrant coming in from another country, and you're trying to figure your way out, and even connecting with other people feels strange and awkward. Perhaps you're an introvert, and you're just getting in this room is enough of a problem for you, and you're trying to think, you want me to get into community, and we have a hard time doing that. Maybe you're new to this church and this is a new experience for you. Maybe you're not even a Christian and you're coming into this space here and you're, have, you're trying to find your way. Every one of us in, our, in this room are on a particular journey. And we know you're here. And I know you're here. Most importantly, God knows that you are here. And whatever part of the journey that you're in. And in light of all this, what keeps people together, whether immigrant or introvert, whether new to the church or whether you've been hurt by the church is really two things. is really fear and shame. Fear and shame is what keeps us separated from each other. We are afraid because if you knew everything about me, would you still want to be with me? And shame because we think about all the things that we've done and we cannot live with ourselves. We think we're somehow that there's something wrong with me fundamentally at the core. And in light of all of these things, there is good news for us. And the good news has to do with what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. And I want you to follow the progression in chapter 10 because it is brilliant. It is magnificent to see the progression in chapter 10 to the the text that I read here. And, And the writer begins to unpack what Christ has done for us. And because he's using the temple and he's using liturgical language, he highlights that in Christ, the curtain that separated us between God has come down. There was a curtain that separated us between God. Now, this wasn't the curtain. This is the Bed Bath and Beyond curtain here. Um, And so the curtain doesn't look like this here in the temple here, but you get the drift. The curtain that separated us between God was a 60 feet tall, was 30 feet wide, and it was very thick. And the only, and, and it separated people from getting into the most holy place, the holies of holies. And so when you went into the temple, when you went into the tabernacle, there would be a curtain that separated the people of God from the presence of God. And only one person can go into the most holy place one time a year. It was the high priest. And the high priest would go in on the day of atonement. And on the day of atonement, he would represent the people of God and represent really a sacrifice for their sins. And the high priest had to be ritually and morally clean because you're entering into the most holy place. And legend and tradition says that when the high priest would walk in there, they would tie a rope around his leg just in case he had some secret sin and he'd die in the presence of God. No one wanted to go into the holies of holies. Let's just drag the guy out of there just before we get struck down by God as well. When Jesus died, the curtain that separated us between God and God's self was torn down. It says that on the cross, when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain, that thick, massive, tall curtain was torn in two. And all of a sudden, you and I now have access to God. We have access to his love. We have access to his grace. We have access to his mercy. No longer do we have to walk on the eggshells with God. No longer do we have to wonder, is God going to accept me? The curtain has been torn in two. You can enter into the holies of holies. And not only can we walk in, the writer says we can walk in with confidence. And the word confidence means that we can speak freely to God. I have a five-year-old daughter, Karis, and when she walks into my room, she's not calculating her words. She just blurts things out. She says whatever she wants to say. If, if I didn't brush my teeth, she's going to let me know I didn't brush my teeth. If she wants something, she's going to let me know. She speaks very freely with me. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, 
That's the kind of relationship you are to have with God. You don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to walk in shame. God welcomes you. The curtain has been torn in two. And we can come boldly to the throne and to the presence of God. This is what the cross secures for us. Some of you, does that characterize your relationship that you can just speak freely with God? Most of us, we have kind of a job interview relationship with God in which every word must be calculated and every word must mean something. But he said, I want you to have the kind of relationship that a child would have, that you can speak freely. That's the kind of access you have for me. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near to God. You can come to God without fear. You can come to God without shame. You can come to God in confidence. Now, some of you in this room are probably wondering, what does this all have to do with community life? What does this have to do with us in this room? This has everything to do with community life. Because after the writer says that in Christ we can meet God, he goes on to say that we also are to meet each other. Not only are we to draw near to God, we are to draw near to each other. But I want you to look at the irony of the text. Because although the curtain that has come down that separated us between us and God, there are still curtains that go up in our world. Although the curtain has come down between us and God, we still have curtains that we hold up between each other. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, not only did the cross tear down the curtain between us and God, the cross also tear down the curtains that we hold between each other, that we separate each other with, that no one is going to come in. No one's going to know my secret sins. No one's going to know my fears. No one's going to know anything about me. I'm just going to be distant from everyone. And he says, no, no, the cross is to take down the curtain that separated us between God and also separate us between each other. And so when he's talking about meeting with each other, he's not just talking about geographically. He's saying that we are to really meet each other, but it's hard to do that when all of us have curtains up. Most of us, in, in the spirit, spiritually speaking, we come into a worship setting like this, we come into a small group setting like this, and we're really coming in like this. And he says, is that rich back there? I, don't even, I can't even see him there. And just, no one's getting in. No one's going to, because if you see who I really am, would you really receive me? If you see what I struggle with, would you really accept me? The truth is we all have curtains. Curtains are the things that we put in front of us that keep us from other people and keep other people from entering in. And if you look at Jesus, what Jesus was most uh, upset at with the religious leaders is he called them uh, hypocrites. But when he called them hypocrites, it wasn't because they were doing something that they weren't living or, or professing something that they weren't living. The word hypocrite means to, to put on a mask. And Jesus, he wanted them to put down their mask because God wanted to transform them at the deepest part of their being. And God can't transform you through community if we have our curtains up. And so the invitation is to put your curtain down. We all have curtains. We hide behind our titles. We hide behind our education. We hide behind our our super religious approach. Brother, how are you doing? I am blessed. I've always been blessed. I've never had an unblessed day in my life, you know? But you just got hit by a car. It doesn't matter. I'm still blessed. But your arm just fell off. My arm is blessed. Everything is blessed, you know? We hide behind curtains so that people can't get in. 
And it is to these things that the cross works against. Because the church is to be a place where our true selves meet. And this is what the cross has secured for us. Not only can we meet God, we are also to truly meet each other. Deeply meet each other. This is what the cross of Christ does. It creates a new community that enables us to truly meet. And this is what the family of Jesus is to be. That there's no need for shame. There's no place for shame and there's no need to fear. The family of Jesus is to be a safe space. Now at New Life, uh, we have groups and some of the things that I love about our church is we create safe spaces. And one of the groups that we create safe spaces with is for folks that have sexual addiction. And people from all, all over our church have sexual addictions. And we have created safe spaces so that you can come in and receive the kind of grace and help that you need to receive freedom. And that's the kind of, that's the microcosm of the kind of spaces that we want to create throughout New Life. A safe space that because, Jesus, because we can go to God safely, we can also come to each other safely as well. And this is what the cross of Christ wants to secure for us. And so this is the core, everybody, of emotionally healthy community. And really, emotionally healthy community is really predicated on the idea of safety. That because we're all broken in this room, all of us in this room, we're all broken. There's none of us in this room that, is, that has our act all together. We're all broken and weak to some degree or another. Therefore, we are to create safe spaces for each other. What I desperately need, I desperately need to give to other people. And so there are a couple of implications. What does it mean that we are an emotionally healthy community? What does it mean that the cross secures it for us? Minimally, it means this. Because God creates a safe space for us, you are to create a safe space for others. Because God has created a safe space for us. We are to live out this reality by providing a safe space for other people. This is who we are to be as a church. Let me ask you a question. Are people drawn to you? Because they know you're safe. Are people drawn to you because they know this person is not going to judge me? They know I can confess whatever because I know I'm going to become, receive grace and truth. Do people feel safe in your presence? Recently at New Life, we've been using a phrase at our staff meetings and Jerry introduced it to us. They always say, are, are we a yes face? A yes face. That when you see the person, you go, yes, you're approachable. You're safe. I want to go there. Are you a no face? Yeah, you better not tell me your sins. I'm going to tell everybody about them. How dare you, you know, be struggling with that there. Are we a yes face? We are to be a yes face community. Creating space for people for safety. And so because God creates a space for you, we are to create space for other people. And if that's to be true, if the safety of that is true, then all of us in this room can slowly but intentionally begin to drop our curtains. And the way we drop our curtains is it's not just a one-time thing here. Many times we have to pick it back up again, and sometimes it's just slow. But today really is an invitation for everyone in this room to begin to drop your curtains. To begin to not hide behind your religiosity and hide beyond your title and hide behind your economic situation to, to drop the curtain down is that we see that we're all the same, broken and made in the image of God. And we are to drop our curtain. And when we're honest about our brokenness, 
When we're honest about creating a space, the writer of Hebrews says there's a couple of things that begins to happen that we can actually begin to live out this kind of community. And the first thing that he says is because a safe space has been created between us and God and between us and each other, he says now what we can do is spur each other on. And so the, the encouragement, he says, spur each other on. And the word, fascinatingly, is the word to spur means to irritate each other. <laughs> and some of you are just like, well, I can do that. That's fantastic. I, I, got, a, I got a spiritual gift of irritation. I can, I, can, I can do that absolutely, no problem. But that's not what it means in the way of irritation, the way we think about it. To spur each other on means that we are invited to speak sharp. And to, to sharply confront others. That's the wording. To spur each other on means to sharply confront each other. To be an emotionally healthy community means that we create space enough where there is enough love and grace so that out of that place we can speak sharply and sharply and lovingly confront each other. Now, are you, can you receive that kind of confrontation? Or, or are you defensive? And get touchy when someone says, hey, okay, can I address something? And no, no, what do you want to address? I'll address something with you. You know, the kind of community that Christ wants to create is one that's not defensive. That's one that is teachable. One that we can receive sharp confrontation from each other, that we can receive it and we also have the courage to give it. And so he says, spur each other on. And then he says, encourage each other as well. If all we were doing were spurring each other and confronting each other, we have some problems. But he says, I also want you to encourage each other. And here are the two words, confrontation and consolation. That we are to be a community that when we need to confront, we confront lovingly and, and sharply with the grace of God. But we also are a community that comes alongside each other to support each other. And this is what the world desperately longs for. This is what the church desperately needs, confrontation and consolation. There's a story that I, I, I heard recently, a true story, uh, talking about creating a space for grace. And it's told by Tony Campolo, a preacher and a sociologist. And uh, Tony was on a trip to Honolulu one day to, to speak at a Christian conference. And on his first night there, he, he woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning because of his jet lag. And so he went out to the hotel in search of a place to get something to eat. And eventually he found a small diner. And uh, Tony was the only person in the diner until quite suddenly the diner was filled with women. And some sat at small tables and others sat at the counter next to Tony. But from the conversation, he learned very quickly that these women were prostitutes. And he tells a story. He said, I heard uh, the woman sitting beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her friend responded in a nasty tone. She said, so what do you want from me? You want me to throw your birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake too, to say happy birthday? And the woman said, you know, come on, I, I'm not, why are you so mean to me? She said, I never had a birthday in my life. And why should people start throwing me a birthday today? I just wanted to let you know tomorrow is my birthday. And so they leave soon afterwards, and, and Tony remained there talking to the man across the counter. His name was Harry. And Tony, when he heard that it was her birthday tomorrow, he made a decision. And he said, Harry, do those girls come in every night? He said, they come in every night. He said, that girl who said it was her birthday, does she come in every night? He said, yep, she comes every night. Her name is Agnes. Why do you want to know? He said, I, because tomorrow I want to throw a birthday party for Agnes. 
He said, I'm going to buy the decorations and I'm going to get the cake. And Harry said, no, 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 you get the decorations, I'll get the cake. And so the next day, 2.30 in the morning, Tony Campolo decorated the little diner. And Harry brought the cake. And by the time the prostitutes walked into the room, some people had already heard that there was a party that was going to happen, so they all came a little before Agnes. And when Agnes walked in, they all screamed, Happy birthday, Agnes! And as she walked in, she starts weeping profusely. She can't take it anymore. She's never had a birthday party. She can't take it. They're singing happy birthday to her, and she's weeping uncontrollably as they put the cake in front of her. And after they sang happy birthday, Harry goes, you're supposed to blow out the candle. And so she was too overcome with grief that Harry had to blow out the candle, which he was happy to do. Then he said, Agnes, we have to cut the cake. She wasn't accustomed to cutting cake, and and she was so so overcome. Harry said, I guess I'll have to cut the cake. And then she stopped. No, no, can can we wait a minute? She said, can I take the cake home? I don't want to eat it now. Can I just take it home with me? I've never had a cake before. And she said, I live just a couple of blocks away. Can I I take it home? And Harry said, if that's what you want to do, you go ahead and take the cake home, just take the cake. And she left at that moment. She walked out to her house to bring the cake home. And so Tony Campolo begins to say, it was an awkward moment in there, awkward silence, because the birthday girl just left with the cake. And so he said, I know what I'll do. He said, I, I think we should pray for her. And he recalls it in, in pretty in humorous fashion. He said, here I was, a preacher surrounded by prostitutes in a diner, leading a prayer meeting, you know. And he begins to pray. And he prays this prayer. He starts praying. He says, Lord, I pray for her salvation. He said, I pray that her life will be changed and that God would be good to her. He said, when I finished, Harry looked over the counter with a trace of hostility, and he said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those moments where he said the words just came out right, he said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry waited for a moment, and he said, no, you don't. He said, there's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. The world is longing to join a church like that. The world is desperate to belong. All of you in this room, you're desperate to belong. You are wired to belong. You were wired to connect. You were made for community. And some of you in this room, you might not have the extreme circumstances of that woman named Agnes but some of you in this room feel terribly disconnected. You feel terribly alone and lonely. Maybe you're married, you still feel lonely. Maybe you're single, you still feel lonely. In one of the greatest cities on the world, the most, one of the most crowded cities, 2.3 million people in Queens alone, and so many of us are still lonely. And the cross of Jesus not only gives us access to God, the cross of Jesus gives us access to each other. And the invitation for all of us is to begin to create a safe space for each other, a a culture of grace and love and compassion. 
And out of that place for us to slowly but, but confidently begin to drop our curtains down. This is why at New Life we have different places to connect. Why we do everything that we can as a staff and as a team and as a leadership to meet you where you are on your journey. For some of you in this room here, you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're trying to figure this whole thing out and we have Alpha a small group community where you can ask whatever questions you want in a safe environment over a meal about who Jesus is and what sin is and what salvation is and what does it mean to be in a relationship with God. We want to create that safe space for you to investigate what Christianity is all about. For some of you in this room, we have our newcomer's dinner, and that's just a, a, very, a very simple entryway for us to begin to drop the curtain down and get connected with each other. We have over 75 small groups that meet throughout the city, many people meeting over tables and sharing meals with each other and studying the Bible and praying for each other because we were deeply wired to be connected with each other. And this is why at this part of the year at New Life Fellowship Church, we're doing everything that we can because you were made for connection. And whether you've been coming to New Life for two weeks or whether you've been coming for 10 years, God has wired you to belong. And I love what Red said about Tala. He belonged first before he believed. And even all of us, after we believe, we still need to belong. And so the invitation for us is really to create safe spaces individually, but for us to be part of a community full of grace and compassion and mercy, where because the, because the curtain has been torn in two, we can get to God, we can also get to each other as well. And I want to speak specifically to some of you in this room some of you that God has anointed and gifted to create those kind of community spaces, to create those kind of environments that people can belong to. And some of you in this room, God is calling you out right now. And you've been gifted for it. You're passionate for it. And we want to do everything that we can so that we can equip you so that you can create that spaces, which is a prophetic sign to the world that curtains can come down, that we don't have to be in hiding anymore. That we can, we can truly meet each other in our true selves. That's what the cross has done. The cross gets us to God. And the cross gets us to each other. I want to invite our worship team to come forward. And I want to give us a moment to be still in the presence of God. And I believe God is here. I believe God is speaking to us. I believe God wants to connect us in ways that we've never been connected before. Many of us are like marbles. We're, we're, we're disconnected. We're in the same vicinity, but we're disconnected. And, but he's really calling us to be grapes, clusters, organically connected to each other. And that's what he's calling us to be. And so all of us have a next step, whether it's coming to a newcomer dinner, or whether it's joining Alpha, whether it's learning more about small groups. We're launching about 15 small groups next week after each service. Whatever it is, Jesus Christ, through his cross has given us access to God and access to each other. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Some of you in this room, I imagine you're lonely. I imagine you're disconnected. I imagine you're fearful about even taking a next step. And yet God is here to remind you he is with you. In a new life, we are here to create that kind of space for deep connection. Let's pause for a few moments and then we'll close our time with a song of worship.
Father, thank you for the cross of your son, Jesus. That powerful cross that gives us access to you. And Lord, not just access to you, but access to each other. Lord, may we be a community that meets together, but not just meets together, spatially speaking. We meet together deeply. And Lord, would you teach us and mold us to create that kind of space in our own souls for each other and in the communities that we're a part of. And Lord, give us the courage in our own way to begin to drop curtains that we've been hiding behind. And Lord, may we experience the kind of transformation that you want to offer us through the people of God in this local church family. Lord, we sing to you now words of worship, words of praise. We thank you for joining us together today. And I pray that we would be sensitive to the way that your spirit is speaking to us. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Let's all stand together and sing. Center of it all. Amen. As we close our gathering here, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. And we have the Lord's table up front here to my left. And if you would like to receive the bread and dip it in the cup, you can come up the center aisle here and you can form a line there. What God is doing in here in this church is nothing short of miraculous, where people gather here from over 73 nations and different backgrounds and different stories and different life situations, and yet we're gathered together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit this year wants to take us deeper in community with each other. He wants to deepen us in our relationships with one another. He wants to invite us to create space for each other, safe spaces, and tear down our curtains so that we don't have to hide anymore. And so as we come for prayer, some of you want to receive prayer because you realize, Rich, to, to bring down my curtain, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready for it, but maybe you're just ready to receive prayer, which is another form of community, to receive prayer from someone else. And when we come to the table, we're reminded that Jesus Christ was broken and bruised so that we might be a whole people. He was, he was broken so that we might be healed. And we can come together as a whole community. And so this year, we have an amazing, I believe, journey ahead of us. Of us not just being a sanctified subway car, in which we're just a bunch of anonymous people in close proximity to each other. But we are the people of God, known by others and knowing others, and deeply transformed through the power of community. And so as we close here, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. You can sign up downstairs for newcomers. You can sign up for small groups that are coming up or just get more information. But as we close here with our hands in a posture of receiving, we close every gathering like this at New Life. Because the world is oriented towards grasping, we are to be oriented towards receiving and we cannot give what we have not received. And so brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, creating a safe space, entering into the space that God has created for you and creating that space for others. And may he give you the confidence and the courage to begin to tear down your curtain. And may you begin to experience this week the power of community. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected, 
name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone.